Hawkins Policy Radio, offering a unique perspective on everything. Geopolitics, culture creation, the reality of the world we live in. Coming to you live from New York City, your host, Pierce Redmond. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Porkins Policy Radio. As always, I am your host, Pierce Redman, and you can find this show here at American Freedom Radio, AmericanFreedomRadio.com, as well as on my website, which is PorkinsPolicyReview.com. And, of course, you can listen to the rebroadcast on Friday nights on a host of other uh, stations, including Awake and People's Internet Radio. And, of course, now you can also listen on uh, Saturday evenings from 6 to 8 out in Utah on KYAH uh, AM 540. So lots of uh, new ways to listen to the show. Of course, you can always go to my website and download it directly or on TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes, uh, and, of course, YouTube. And uh, quickly, before we get to today's episode, uh, a big thank you to uh, Rogia, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, uh, for recently signing up to Patreon. And a big thank you to uh, everyone out there who has increased their pledges on Patreon. It's greatly appreciated by me uh, and, of course, everyone that loves the show. Uh, and also uh, a, a quick reminder that Patreon is not going to be uh, implementing their idiotic uh, new um, transaction fees. So uh, we, we won that battle, guys, and I'm uh, glad to have uh, fought that with all of you who were uh, complaining. And it's, it's nice to know that even in today's world, uh, there are some uh, CEOs in Silicon Valley that do actually care uh, about the people that use their product. But uh, anyway, uh, we are joined, thankfully, by our uh, good friend and now frequent guest on the show, J.P. Satilli, of course, the man behind NewsVandal.com and the NewsVandal News Rundown. Uh, I was just uh, remarking to J.P. when we were off air that I've just, just had the worst start to uh, my week. I, lo- I lost the recording uh, that I did with uh, Christoph German, so we're going to have to redo that. Uh, my phone uh, was uh, acting up, and uh, I was extremely late for work. But, uh, JP, how are you doing? Doing well. And, uh, look, your week is not as bad as Patreon's when they tried to roll that thing out. <laughs> I mean, that thing went down in flames. I know. Really? I, I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I was talking about it with uh, my friend. Uh, and, you know, we were just complaining, and you know, the expletives were flying back and forth. We couldn't believe this was happening. And then I left to go to work, and then he emails me saying, uh, "You're not going to believe this, but they actually did listen to uh, all of the uh, people that use Patreon, all the creators on Patreon." So, uh, pretty, I don't know, kind of amazing, a little you know, people power moment there. Um, well, because I'll be a little bit more cynical about it because I think, you know, the the letter that came out pointed to people losing supporters. Because as soon yes. as you say we're going to have a new system, whether it's for good or for ill, immediately people say, "Okay, I've had enough." Mm-hmm. And it was just a bad rollout all the way around. And I think that basically they knew where their bread was buttered, and that's with people like you and me. I mean, they have yeah. to have us, and if they lose us. You know, it's only a matter of time before more alternatives arise. I know there are a couple alternatives out there. And actually, um, now PayPal has the PayPal Me interface. Mm-hmm. And it's so – you just create a page and it's so simple. One link and somebody can go to PayPal and give you money. So 
Um, it's, you know, they've, they got to deal with the competition, unlike Paul Ryan and the Republicans <laughs> in the House who just passed their tax reform. Remember, it's a reform. It's not a cut. It's a reform, even though it's riddled with loopholes and all kinds of gifts and it's not nearly the simplification of the tax code that they'd like everybody to say it is. You're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna be able to do it on a postcard because they didn't, they didn't simplify it the way they said they were gonna simplify it. But what they did do was, um, pad the, the wallets of their biggest donors because their biggest donors came to them a couple months ago and said, if you don't pass tax reform or tax cuts for us, tax reform, we're not going to pony up when it comes time for you guys to run for re-election in 2018. And they've already got a 2018 mess on their hands. So they are going for broke, Pierce. They figure mm. we're just going to hope that people do their taxes. They get a little bit more money and they say, hey, you know, those Republicans, they are looking out for us. I got an extra $500 this year, so I'm going to go ahead and re-elect them. Well, I guess on that note, JP, uh, and I I was telling you this before um, – uh, earlier today that I'm actually fairly ignorant uh, and I'm sad to say of the uh, this tax reform bill I just there's so many other things uh, to pay attention to I know that we, we I probably should have been paying more attention to this as the you know taxes are are such an important part of our lives but are we even going to see a, a, a small th- I mean if if I didn't pay you know if I had an extra five hundred dollars come you know, tax day, tax returns or whatever, I, I guess I would be pretty excited, although I'm hesitant to even uh, buy into that sort of a message. I know that's what the GOP is, is floating, uh, and I don't necessarily trust everything the Democrats say either. Right. But uh, are we even going to see something like that, or is this just sort of uh, one of those promises and then, lo and behold, we, we either end up paying more or the same amount anyway? I don't think we actually know. I think we know in abstract terms, tax policy center and all the and you know all the different assessments that have come out by by partisan and nonpartisan think tanks. Uh, the de- the Republicans' own assessment, the Democrats' obvious counter narrative on it. You know, we we really don't know. We don't know how it's going to affect people like you and me, who are basically kind of independents, freelancers. We don't know how it's going. We know that they're going to be some tax cuts for everybody. We also know that for the people in the bottom three brackets, four brackets, particularly people between twenty and thirty-five thousand dollars a year, twenty and forty thousand dollars a year, they're going to likely see a tax increase somewhere between twenty twenty-one and twenty twenty-five, because a lot of these provisions are sunsets, have sunsets in them, and they had to do the sunset provisions because. To go to conference, because this bill was written in conference. Let's, let's back up. The House passed a bill. The Senate passed a bill. But because the Senate passed their bill on a just a bare majority, not with the 60-vote supermajority, they had to be below a threshold in terms of the amount of money it adds to deficits in the debt. So to, to jury-rig that, they had to put these sunset provisions in so that over the life of the bill, it doesn't add X number of dollars to the national debt. Therefore, you don't have to have a 60 vote, meet the 60 vote threshold. But to do that, you also then have to go into conference to resolve with the House version, which didn't have that same constriction. So the House version went for broke. The Senate version had all the different sort of Frankenstein, uh, provisions. 
sewn it onto it to get Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Bob Corker. And we've learned over the last few days that Bob Corker had a provision put in, put in there on his behalf by Orrin Hatch. So any of this, I think there are 16 like real estate millionaires, uh, mega millionaires almost in, mm. in the Senate. They're all going to get a huge, huge tax cut as a result of this bill. That's one of the little sweeteners that was put in there. And Corker, who was against the bill and then suddenly for it, and people are saying, oh, we see why, because you got your bread buttered. Right. Um, so they had to go into conference. And what that is is you, you they go into resolve the two bills, and that's done behind closed doors, just the leadership of the House and, of, and leadership of the Senate, Republicans come together, and then they come out and they plop a – 600-page, 700-page bill on the table, and they say, okay, we're going to vote. And so what we've seen over the last particularly 36 hours, uh, David Sirota is the guy who found the Corker thing. He's over at International Business Times. Everybody's pouring over all the different details and subclauses and everything to find all the goodies. We haven't found all the goodies yet. We don't know how it's going to work functionally. People haven't gotten their first paychecks to see if – if the withholding is different, you know, the, all the paycheck uh, 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 garnishing that happens for people who are wage earners as opposed to people who live off of capital gains, we don't know. But we do know this. There is going to be a huge windfall for corporations, and there is going to be a huge windfall for people in the upper 3%, particularly the upper 2%, and the maximum windfall is going to be for people in the 1%. So they're going to get a large amount of money back. And people at the bottom are going to get less. And it's actually been said by Mnuchin and Gary Cohn when it said, hey, you know, all the benefits seem to be going to the top. And they say, well, we're not worried about it because we think if people get something, they're not going to care if other people get more. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that seems to be the logic that they're putting forward with all of this. I, I was um, before we were recording, I was watching uh, Sarah Huckabee uh, in the, the White House press conference and um, she, just like you were saying there before, JP, I mean, she was sort of like, well, we don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is a, this is the person that's supposed to be out there selling this <laughs> to the press. Yeah. And, and she was sort of like, well, we're just going to have to wait and, you know, sort of like, well, you know, fingers crossed, hold your breath. Everything is going to be okay. We think, uh, and, and, and then of course she had to field these awkward questions, um, you know, well, this is going to benefit Trump's business uh, end of, of the spectrum. And she says, well, yes, of course, it might benefit a little bit. But he's, you know, his his sort of personal wealth is going to be taxed a bit more. Um, you know, and it's kind of like, well, first off, is it actually? And no. then second off, I mean, who cares if, if he's making more uh, from the business end? Then it doesn't really matter about his uh, exactly. familial wealth. Um, and you were telling me this also. I, this is a... Highly unpopular tax bill. I know that the the Trump uh, cult members are all uh, praising this like it's you know. Nah, nah, nah. See, the, here's the wrinkle, Pierce. Before Bannon left, he was arguing for an increase of the tax rate for the upper brackets, mm. because Bannon knows that the Trump coalition, such as it is, is comprised of people who were hammered by the deindustrialization of the United States, who were hammered, and m many of them still reeling. Not Look, that it's been debunked that, that Trump's main uh, core of support came from people who were lower income. There is a large lower income part of it, though, because there are a lot of upper income people who supported him as well. It's not only, it's not only a populist 
wave. But there are enough people, particularly in the Rust Belt in the South, who think that the wealthy are getting away with murder and it got away with murder after 2008. I think that one of the untold, underappreciated stories of the last eight years is the impact that Occupy Wall Street had on the mentality of the American voter. We think now in terms of 1%, 99%. That's yes. part of our lexicon. They inserted that into the lexicon, and it's never gone away. And it's part of the lexicon of the lower end income end of Trump supporters. And Bannon knows this. And Bannon trying to create this new coalition pulling the lingering Rust Belt Democrats and lingering sort of suburban Democrats and and uh, exur and Democrats from the exurbs who are a little disillusioned on cultural issues with the Democrats, bring them in on this economic issue, this economic nationalism. Part of that was let's tax people at the top. And he was laughed out of the room on that one. And and Mnuchin and Gary Cohn and Trump and all of the, the, the Paul Ryan. You know, look, you got Paul Ryan, by the way, who I'm pretty convinced, particularly after today's speech, um, where he was just he was positively giddy about this tax cut in no small part because this is the this is a the prelude to cutting Medicare, Medicaid and Social Security, by the way. As far as the Republicans are concerned, this is a guy who obviously, as far as I, I can tell, um, used to masturbate to a dog-eared copy of Atlas Shrugged when he was a teenager. Yes. So, you know, those guys did not want to increase the upper upper tax brackets, those tax rates, because they are part of what Bannon is trying to overturn. So there's this other interesting texture inside of it because i look at that there's the, the cnn poll today is 33 percent support this 33 percent that's up from 31 percent last month so this is a brand new poll today those opposed has gone from 45 percent to 55 percent so more people are opposed today to this than were before which is another i think you know why the democrats just sit back they're just saying you go ahead and do it because we're going to run on this one percent 99 percent thing but um, I think it's a much trickier issue for Republicans because this is old country club, you know, business roundtable, chamber of commerce, uh, uh, Koch brothers kind of stuff. And I think that there is a, a fissure inside of even Trump's coalition that is going to be an electoral problem for the Republicans potentially in, in next year. Oh, no, and I guess if I was to put on my more sort of a tinfoil or, or cynical hat here, I almost wonder if this isn't deliberate in, in that maybe there is some faction of the GOP that sees this as a way to kind of unseat Trump, you know, that he becomes so unpopular uh, because of this that, uh, you know, let's say he loses the next election or, or something like that, and then the GOP can kind of uh, reinsert uh, the, the more typical candidate, even though I think Trump more or less sort of, you know, he fits into that mold. They don't really care that much. But they would much rather, you know, like a Mitt Romney or, or something like that, someone of that ilk. Uh, That's, a so I wonder if That's a great call, Pierce. That's a great mm -hmm. call because Bannon said the, the in his last event with Roy Moore, he said – you watch what happens when the Republicans get their tax bill. They will cut loose Donald Trump. And so it's actually – it would be a twofer. And as you know, Pierce, as somebody who's studied many of these kinds of 
black ops and false flags and you know surreptitious operations. You never do anything unless there's a twofer. Mm-hmm. You don't do it. You don't do it for the one for right. Yeah. You want two things. One thing would be undercut Donald Trump. The other thing is get rich. I mean, it's <laughs> but it's, it's perfect, right? Mm. So, but I think the thing is, is that Republicans are going to pay. I think that's what maybe stands against that argument because this is like an electoral maelstrom, as far as I can tell, building next year. You have the Me Too thing. Women are uh, signing up to be candidates in record numbers right now all around the country. We have the the Roy Moore thing in Alabama could be an outlier because Roy Moore is was such a creepy dude. Um, but Has he even you, conceded? Uh, he hasn't conceded. He hasn't con- no, but I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, in, in all but name only. But I mean, he's, he's still essentially saying that he, I don't know, he's, but he's going to recount everything. Yeah, he's waiting for he's waiting for the Lord to to come. The Lord is Terry. <laughs> so anyway. Um, but there's Virginia, and when you look at that Virginia election that everybody talks about, you look at the other races. There are things that happened in Montana and Connecticut and North Dakota. kind of shows that the enthusiasm is there to build a wave. So I, you know, the way I look at this is that this is let's get what we can while we can because we're, about, we're all about to lose power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I this is the hoarding economy. And although Sarah Huckabee Sanders – can't tell tell you what's going to happen. She can't predict, and you know the you know Dave Bratt and all of these Freedom Caucus guys in the in Congress say, oh, growth is going to go to five percent. It's going to be amazing. I think we know based on recent history what's going to happen, Pierce. It's going to create a bubble, and that's what these tax cuts do. The Reagan tax cut. There were there were two phases of it, but you know there was the big one in '83, and then there was another one. Those turned into a massive bubble and financialization. It's the process of financialization that seems to be tied to these tax cuts because what you do is you give a huge amount of money. This is supply-side economics. You give a huge amount of money to, to, to the people at the top, right? You say the supply side says, let's supply the people at the top with a huge influx of capital that they will then invest into the economy and that will trickle down to everybody because that will generate growth as opposed to demand side economics which is Milton Keynes and Keynesianism which ruled prior to the to the Reagan coming of the Reagan administration and this was developed in the during the 30s in particular and implemented in no small part by FDR which is let's create demand let's go ahead and go into to government spending to create work programs and to create demand and employment so that you put money in the side in the hands of the, com- the consumer on the demand side and that demand will stoke growth as they go out and seek to buy products. And what I think we see with the supply side is that it creates financialization because the people at the top take these windfalls and they go into the market and they become corporate raiders. And they start buying and selling exotic financial instruments because they want to take their money to make more money. And they don't do it by making widgets in Peoria. They mm-hmm. do it by making deals on Wall Street. Well, I mean, and that, that's uh, uh, our uh, wonderful Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, was known as uh, like the, the – what was he, like the top bankruptcy corporate raider <laughs> right. uh, on Wall Street. I mean, that's how he made his money. Working for the Rothschilds, also, you know, <laughs> so again, really draining the swamp there. Um, but uh, I guess I'm, I'm just uh, 
I wonder if this will create a true groundswell. I know, you know, you were, um, I think it was last Tuesday, you were talking, uh, with our friend Chuck Ocelli about, uh, uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson running for president. Right. Uh, as, and maybe that he could actually, um, get some sort of a, a movement going, some sort of a, a true, you know, maybe not a real alternative, cause I can't really see him creating something, but, uh, he could create something where they're like, both of these parties are horrible and suck. Vote for me. You will actually see something different. And people might do that almost as a protest. And I would say I would probably vote for The Rock if he ran. Um, but uh, I guess it just sort of begs the question, If uh, does the GOP just assume that, well, at the end of the day, there's, there's only us or the Democrats? You know, even if we screw up enough. You're still gonna. It just. It seems like a very risky gamble, and you know, in spite of these pictures of uh, Paul Ryan, you know, with a ear-to-ear smile, I can't help but wonder if he is uh, concerned at all about this. Well, there was a story last week that he was soul searching, and I can't remember who it was on on Twitter who who said it was a comedian who said, "Good luck finding your soul." Um, <laughs> That he was soul searching about you know, potentially leaving after the 2018 election, like basically shepherding the Republicans through the election process, and then once the election happened, he would resign. Now he is facing a pretty stiff challenge in his own district from a blue collar, you know, Packers fans, a, a guy with a mustache who was a, like mm. I think he was a, 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 a steel worker or a, a boiler maker or something, um, a steam fitter. Uh, who's running a hard populist campaign against him. There are going to be a number of these challenges. We've seen a lot. I think the, the number is up to at least like 16 now. Republicans in the House have said, and these are not you know sexual assault-related resignations, who have said they're not going to run again. I think the Republicans see, and this doubles back to your original thought, that maybe the Republicans wouldn't mind taking a bath in the next election cycle if it helped purge Trump from the party. Because mm. in the long run, the Trump coalition is not going to work electorally. You know, Trump won because of dampened turnout. And, you know, we are seeing now that enthusiasm is really where elections are won. If your people are willing to come out and vote, you can win. And one of the sort of the, the genius elements of the Trump campaign, which was lucking into genius because Hillary Clinton was such a toxic and unlikable um, camp, uh, uh, campaigner and so, so, so laden with baggage stretching back 30 years – and people were so loath to vote for her that they had the benefit of having a smaller pool of voters that they had to compete in. So the 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 relative power of the Trump voter was was uh, expanded vis-a-vis the declining turnout of the Clinton voter. Five million people did not show up. There were five million right. people the Democrats were counting on to show up did not show up. Five million. That's, I mean, there's your, there's your election right there. And if it was Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden, even you, I think it's safe to say that that at least half of those people would have shown up. If even if a third had shown up, Trump would not be president. And I think the Republicans know all this. They know that the demographics are moving in another direction. They see that there, there's a, a really interesting poll. There's this generic party poll that comes out in the year 
prior to the to the um, congressional elections, particularly the off-year elections. You know, what's it's a generic party question. Would you rather see the Republicans or the Democrats uh, in charge? And when you look at 18 to 29 year olds or 30 year olds, by a, a margin of 48 percent, they prefer Democrats. Mm. 48. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a big number. And so I I know that Republicans behind the scenes, the Mitch McConnells of, of the world, they're looking at this data and saying this is not something in the long run we can we can uh, we can work with. So maybe in the short term it it does make sense to take a hit in this next election, have it be uh, of a loss for Trump in 2018 going into 2020. But in the interim, you've lined the pockets of all your donors. You've lined your own pockets. And the great hoarding is underway once again. This is maybe the third great hoarding or the fourth great hoarding if you consider the, the Clinton economy, which I think was a hoarding economy as well. And in the process, it's going to be a potential budget buster that is going to make it possible for Paul Ryan to get his ultimate wish list, who, by the way, talked about in a in a in a, a, a an extensive interview about nine months ago how he used to dream about cutting welfare and Medicaid when he was doing beer bong hits in college. <laughs> Literally, he said, "Yeah, I'd be sitting there at the Kager, and oh, I've been dreaming about cutting Medicare and Medicaid, and <sighs> since I was doing you know since I was at the Kager in college. I mean, so." Maybe this is just, uh, like you say, a, a go for broke strategy, but not go for broke in terms of we think we're going to win. But we might as well just just wreck the place before we leave and get what we can because we know we're going over the cliff. And I think I, I'd agree with you there too. And this notion that um, uh, even Bannon sort of, you know, we're going to change the Republican Party. I mean, that's that doesn't happen. That's not going to happen with Donald Trump, and it's not going to happen even in, in one presidency. You know, I mean, th this idea that you can defeat uh, one of the two behemoths in American politics by voting for somebody, I, I think, to, is just sort of um, foolish thinking. Uh, and uh, even if the Republicans take a big hit and and what I mean, you look at um, look at something like British politics, which has been around longer you know, historically than the U.S. politics. And you you had uh, the, um, you know, the Tories in power for decades, uh, you know, until things swayed. And then Tony Blair was around forever. Um, you know, th these parties don't just disappear. They might right. take a hit for quite some time. But I think it's a little nearsighted to think that, um, you know, just simply by uh, wearing a, a red Make America Great Again hat, and voting for Trump, you're going to somehow change the system entirely, uh, especially when so many aspects of the system are so ingrained in our political and social structure sure. that the you know it, it's just not going to happen. Um, JP, should we then um, you know as a as a, a you know a, a hedge against us, should we start uh, investing in Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. And I, you know what? I actually think that there is an element of this. Uh, tax bill in the Bitcoin run. I think, you know, if you look at the stock market, uh, we interpret it as the economy. It's not the economy. You know, there's a wonderful piece today on, in Bloomberg on Trump 
asking people, I think it was on Twitter, he said, hey, everybody's 401k is doing great, right? Isn't How great is your 401k? Well, <laughs> most people don't have a 401k. Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> and, and most of those, you know, we talked about that coalition, the low end of Trump's coalition, they don't have a 401k. The vast majority of people have no interest, uh, no financial interest in the stock market. And the stock market is being driven by what? It's being driven by by speculation and by buybacks and by by promises of something that's that's to come and people not wanting to be left behind because it's going well if it's going to keep going I want to get in there's an element of that also in bitcoin and it's almost like a it's like a feeding frenzy it reminds me of uh, a story about the the end of uh, sturgeon uh, I think it was I think it's a black sea you know when the sustainable everybody said oh my gosh Now's the time to make money on caviar. And as they kept fishing the sturgeon closer to extinction, the price of the, the caviar was going down because the market was getting flooded. So people were fishing for more sturgeon and it turned into a collapse. Mm. And that kind of feeding frenzy that happens uh, in markets is what I see here. And unfortunately, this feeding frenzy that we have now was fed by – the Fed, the Fed fed the, the feeding frenzy with quantitative easing because a lot of this stock market gain that we have seen over the last five or six years, which is now turned into a frenzy, was buoyed by quantitative easing, putting basically free money, no yeah. interest loans in the hands of, of people on Wall Street, corporations, who then turned around and used that money to buy back their own stocks, which drove up the price of the stock as they were buying their own stock and it was distorting the market. Why? Because the CEOs and the guys on the boards and the, all the leadership of this, the corporations have in their compensation packages two things. One, stock options. And two, more stock options tied to the stock's performance. So the more, the, the better the stock performs, the more stock options they get, which means their stock options are worth more money if they go out there and drive up the price of the stock, which they did with quantitative easing. And this is exactly what's going to happen with this windfall. They're going to go and they're going to do two things. They're going to pay out some dividends and they're going to buy back their own stocks. And it's going to lead to, I, it's, it's a bubble that is, is unavoidable, it seems to me, and is historically provable. We've had the, the Reagan bubble. We had the Clinton bubble, which is similar insofar as Clinton was the, the, that, that presidency. There were two things. One, there was this massive flood of consumer debt that happened in the nineties. People, uh, ended up, the average card holding family had five credit cards by the end of Clinton's administration. Prior to that, they had, they had one, maybe two. It was like 1.8. So you end up with five at the end. So people were buying, buying all those, those plastic widgets from China that came from outsourcing with credit cards. The other thing is that we saw the transition from, um, uh, defined benefit pension plans to 401ks. Why? Because Wall Street said, God, aren't 401ks better there, John Q. Public? Because we think they're better because we're tired of your money being tied up in a defined benefit pension plan that like a CalPERS or whatever where they have huge amounts of – they have economies of scale that they can marshal to affect Wall Street as a, instead of having that – we'd like to have that money go back to you through your 401k and then as it goes to you, it actually ends up coming to us. 
so that all of your pension money as an individual comes into into Wall Street and we get to use that to play our games as opposed to having large pension plans being able to play Wall Street to their ends. Wall Street got to play everybody by dividing and conquering their money through 401ks. And what did that lead to by the end of of Clinton's uh, bust, a boom and bust cycle when the bust came? Everybody took a bath on 401ks. Are we going to see that again? I think it's likely. The same process happened again with the Bush tax cut. Bush tax cut came. A lot of money went into into the economy. It didn't go into the productive economy, into building widgets. It went into speculation. We got the housing crisis, which was a combination of speculation by those at the top and uh, and predatory lending uh, for those at the bottom who were trying to catch up with all the speculation that was being fueled at the top. And boom, we got a crash, and here we are again. No, and, and uh, like you said, I can I can see this on the horizon, and then of course you know we're gonna have to uh, live through everybody and their mother uh, writing a book how they you know <laughs> oh I, I predicted this you know years back I didn't tell anybody right. you know I was just uh, but I knew it was gonna happen right. uh, so you know I had my book deal uh, ready with Random House uh, you know just in time for uh, the holiday season or something you know I mean it, it's um, and I can see that more and more and just. Quickly, because I'm not, uh, I'm by no means a, a, an expert on the economy. I think you're, you know far more than I, and nor am I much of an expert on the, the Bitcoin stuff. But I do just find it fascinating how now, um, you know, everybody is talking about Bitcoin. Um, and I remember uh, back, this was when it first was in, in its infancy, there was, I think it was an article in the New Yorker talking about Bitcoin and talking about the idea that it might have been this uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto uh, or they, they didn't use his real name, but they hinted that it was this uh, Japanese web designer who may have been in, you know, in charge of this. And now, of course, it's sort of taken on a mind of its own. Nobody really knows uh, who created it. Um, and yet now everyone is so obsessed with it. And oddly, I find that, you know, it's becoming now more and more integrated into the, the, the world, econ- you know, world economy, in, in air quotes, really into the stock market. You know, now suddenly you can trade on Bitcoin futures. Right. Now, if you go to like, um, I think it's uh, uh, like coinmarketcap.com, there's like a thousand different cryptocurrencies, some of which are worth like, you know, point oh 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 one percent, you know, percent of like a dollar. Uh, meaningless. Uh, and it, it just strikes me as, is, uh, you know, yet the another sort of uh, – you know, turd in the punch bowl that's just sort of being added onto this. And again, I mean, if if suddenly the stock market dips or something, that will have a huge effect on Bitcoin. I know that people are predicting it's going to be, you know, a million dollars and whatnot. Uh, and uh, there's not, I'm sure I'm going to get all sorts of angry emails uh, from Bitcoin proponents. But it does just seem like um, yet another one of the – maybe not totally – uh, similar to like the housing bubble, but it does seem like, you know, so suddenly everyone is, is, uh, people that have never traded stock before are, are buying Bitcoin, you know, and they're going to Bitcoin exchanges, uh, and they're buying other Litecoin and Ethereum and, uh, you know, Potcoin, Dennis Rodman's, uh, you know, uh, he's a spokesperson for, uh, and it just, I don't know. I do, what do you make of that? We can move on from it, but oh, no, it, it just I seems think, like I think a wild thing. I think it's fascinating. There are 29 cryptocurrencies with market caps over a billion now. That was uh, in Business Insider this morning. Well, what does uh, that even really mean? Because is is you know is that I, I wonder if that's really truly reflective of 
the you know how much cryptocurrency is out there, you know, well, and how much is actually being traded. Well, I mean, look at look at anything. I mean, this is kind of the weird environment we're in with the highly financialized economy. Because I think you made a, a you're making some interesting points here, and I do think that there is a possibility that, that if the stock market bubble bursts, maybe Bitcoin goes even higher because that will be the um, the option of last resort for all of the financialization in uh, in the market. They say, well, the market's crashing, but we can all flee to Bitcoin. It's right. almost like a it's almost like a, a safety hatch, right? That you can buy gold, <laughs> right? It's the new gold, right? So, but here's the thing: is that gold has sort of a hard value that human beings have assigned to it for centuries. And Bitcoin is something that's mined by massive, you know, server systems that uh, sometimes hijack people's uh, people's computers, uh, unbeknownst to them. And actually, a lot of it's being mined in places like Venezuela, where the energy is subsidized. So instead of paying the huge energy bill, which it caught, which is what you have to pay to mine cryptocurrency because you have to use computers to go out and yeah. mine the cryptocurrency some people are gaming the system and mining it in places like venezuela so that they don't have to pay the energy bill so that basically the people of venezuela are paying for these these bitcoin millionaires to get even richer which makes it even seem more pernicious now you know blockchain is very it's a very odd thing i, I have some understanding of it but you know the key to blockchain is it's is the series of signatures on the the cryptocurrency so every signature becomes verified and what you are doing is is you're building on a series of signatures so all the people that came before you on the block chain the a chain of individuals that have all in a sense endorsed the cur- currency that's what gives it its value and that's what keeps it from becoming um, from being counterfeit, right? Because you have to have these verified signatures in the blockchain to, to build up the value of it. But, he, you know, ultimately, the idea I thought behind a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin was to create an alternative to central banking and to, you know, government-based currencies, right? So it has this sort of radical libertarian edge to it. But at this point, it kind of seems more like Van Gogh paintings, where people are rushing in to something because they, they believe it has uh, a an actual value that is hard to ascertain, but is something I know it when I see it kind of value like art, and it's creating um, kind of a tulip mania. You know, if you know anything about yeah. the, the you know, it's a tulip mania kind of thing where everybody's like rushing to get to it. Maybe we're talking again like the caviar. In, at the end of the Soviet Union, right, where people are rushing in and rushing in and rushing in because they don't want to be left behind. I think it's really more reflective of the overall transition of our economy from an economy of things to an economy of financialization, where things like Forex trading, which, by the way, is, has been totally corrupted over the last 15 years, and there have been, been a number of banks who have been hit with massive fines for basically gaming the foreign exchange system where basically, you know, this is selling pounds and selling euros and selling yuan and selling uh, drachmas and all that, blah, blah, blah. So not drachmas anymore. That's gone to the euros, but um, shekels. And mm-hmm. so if you do things around the margins, if you just have like a, a marginal 
if you and your buddies decide, well, let's just game this trade and we'll we'll alter it by one tenth of a percent. Economies of scale. If you're doing hundreds of millions of dollars, you all can make out nicely on it by gaming the system. That's kind of how our economy has has been going for the last 35, 40 years. The world economy uh, has been based on this. Let's make let's let's trade numbers on computer screens, right? That's what foreign exchange is. That's what so many stock trades are. They're really just numbers on computer screens. It's not like you know if you make a trade. You know, you, you get Bob to go take a stack of dollar bills over to Tom, and Tom says, "Okay, yeah. we've made our stock trade." Everything is is numbers, and I'm sure you're familiar with you know MMT, modern monetary theory. This idea that ultimately money is completely meaningless on some level. I mean, mm-hmm. government debt is completely irrelevant and meaningless because basically the government could just cancel out it, all of its debt tomorrow if it wanted to. It's not like government. Right. It's not like there's, you know somebody's going to come take all our gold. Right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. over, right? So in a sense, maybe it's emblematic of where we are as a as an economic system and as a society that something like Bitcoin would run amok. And all I have to say is is that who at the bottom end of the economic ladder is going to be a part of this new cryptocurrency because who's going to be able to buy into uh, to Bitcoin when it gets to I saw somebody today saying it's going to be $100,000 by the end of the year. Who, who's yeah. going to be who's going to be buying into that? So again, you have this one percent world of financialization, and sadly, that's where Bitcoin seems to be going. Mm. Well, it it reminds me very much of uh, you know the the gold bugs out there that constantly going you know you got to buy gold, got to buy gold, and and historically, uh, you know, it, it, only the rich bought gold. You know, I, I mean, there's no one, no one on the body, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, you could, you could buy into silver and stuff like that. But th- this notion that gold is going to be some, is going to save us. But I mean, you look at the, the people that own the most gold are either banks, governments, or billionaires. Right. Uh, you know, the average person is not going to be, cause how can you? Like you said. And Bitcoin seems even more ludicrous when, you know, it, it, I mean, the price of one Bitcoin right now, I mean, I wish I had one, you know, but uh, it, it's crazy to think that you can just sort of get involved in this when it, it, it's exceed, you know, it keeps increasing to these crazy, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be $50,000 in a few months. Uh, and, and then suddenly, I mean, how does anybody buy into that? Um, so yeah, it just seems, I also just, uh, the whole thing kind of just reeks of some like weird transhumanist thing. You know, yep. it's just like, let's become <laughs> even more integrated with technology. And, you know, the, the sort of conspiracy theories that uh, Bitcoin is created by an AI, I, I, I don't yeah. totally disregard that anymore. I um, mean, that seems like, you know, the beginning to like a great science fiction movie or something. Uh, but it, you know, and of course it's the people that are constantly harping on about, uh, oh, the transhumanist agenda and whatnot. They're all say, well, but buy Bitcoin because that, that's going to, I don't know, help us in some way. And just as a silly little thing, and I'm sure people are going to get, you know, say, oh, you don't understand the technology. But like I was saying earlier, my iPhone, for whatever reason, uh, decided to, uh, I don't know what, change the time arbitrarily. So yesterday when my alarm went off at, uh, 9 o'clock, uh, and I was getting ready to go to work, I didn't realize that it was actually noon and I had slept, you know, and I missed a whole bunch of work. That's just my stupid iPhone messing up. Can you imagine 
a glitch. I mean, we haven't seen it really, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that somebody could screw with the blockchain or screw with a Bitcoin exchange or something. I mean, again, it, it is all bits and, and numbers, ones and zeros on, on a computer. It's not impenetrable. It, it, you know, the, somebody out there will figure it out. Maybe it'll be an AI computer or something, but you know, it's not out of their own possibilities. So the idea of, you know, put all of our faith into the computer is just, I mean, super scary transhumanist uh, but, sort but of isn't stuff. But doesn't that really point out where we are, transitionally speaking? And I think that, you know, I look at – we talked about this last time about the news pace, and I thought about it more since we – our last talk. And if if, if you were – if you're listening you didn't listen, we were talking about the pace of news and is there really more craziness and nuttiness and and conflict happening now than any time in history? And I could go back and forth on that. I think you know some of it is because we hear about it more. Maybe it's always been going on, but maybe it is more because – you know, the United States is, is vacating its space as the lone superpower, um, uh, intentionally and unintentionally. Um, but I think there is a general sensibility. I have no way to, to prove this scientifically, but I think we kind of know as a species that we are in a transitional phase, that there is something happening here. AI is coming. The, the pace of technological change has been so breathtaking over the last 30 years that uh, it's 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 stupefying we're you know we actually can postulate the possibility that a new cryptocurrency was created by an artificial intelligence we start thinking about being where are we all going to end up being neo in the matrix all yeah. of these things are not fanciful and peter thiel is you know Oh, the, the king what, of this. What he's gonna do, what he's gonna do with, you know, all of a sudden there's gonna be these sort of cyborgs that come, come, uh, flying out of New Zealand after he sets up his master race there of, you know, of yes. transhumanist <laughs> individuals. So, but we are gonna see a mass, I've written about this on the coming robot economy. Look, a lot of the investment that will come, if there is investment, that comes out of this tax cut is going to go into robotics. Why would you pay an individual to do something when you can when you can transition to robots and, and artificial intelligence? This is why Silicon Valley's favorite uh, social welfare program is the one that we don't have yet: universal basic income. Why do they want UBI? Because UBI, they're gonna they realize they're gonna have to pay off all of the losers of this coming economy because there are going to be losers now. Capitalism, whether you like it or not, it's not about arguing the merits of it. We do know that capitalism creates losers, and capitalism is not necessarily free markets. For anybody out there who's a free market head, I do think that there is there is a delineation to be made between free markets and capitalism. Capitalism is different because capitalism is socialism in the interest of capital, and and you know as we see in capitalism, capitalists tend to avoid punishment for their bad decisions because they control. Not just the means of production, but they also control the political environment that can actually mitigate their control over the means of production. So, so all that being given, we are, there are always going to be, there are always been losers made in capitalism. There are going to be a lot of losers. And the people in Silicon Valley know that. They know that. They know that we are in a transition from an economy that really came out of World War II, which was, you know, oil and defense and manufacturing and, Companies like Westinghouse that made – they made refrigerators and nuclear bombs. Right, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> yeah. that, that, I mean the whole country was 
was this manufacturing machine. That's gone. And now we've got not just 3D printing, but now you've got 4D printing, which means you, 4D printing is these are materials that will be able to assemble and repair themselves mm-hmm. without any human intervention once they're created. We don't – I think we – and then you have climate change happening and you, know, you, you start to have mass – you're starting to have the beginnings of migrations that are climate-related and sea level rise. I think we know that something is going to change or something is changing and I think that it contributes to this feeling of mania. And I also think it can, it's one of the contributing factors is the fact that we don't have an economy of things anymore where Tom, you know, Tom Smith can go to the factory in the morning. He can make widgets. They're quality widgets. The company that makes those widgets sells its stock uh, on the stock exchange because they like to have investment in making widgets. And the people who invest in the company that makes the widgets, they invest in the stock market, invest in the company through the stock market because they get a nice dividend. And then Tom, after he's done making the widgets on his way home, he can stop at the store and buy buy his his family items with the money that he makes and he's buying from bill who runs the local store it's not walmart it's a, he owns the store and he's selling widgets made by other people around the country and so there's this integrated economy of things it's over it's come to an end and it's reflective in the way we trade money and the way we view money the way all of our money is now on a chip on a on a credit card or it's in cryptocurrency or it's in stock trades or 401ks we don't have a hard economy of things anymore, and I think that that makes many, many people very, very uneasy. Oh, totally. I, you, it just sort of reminds me uh, you're talking about the, these things that don't have much intrinsic value, and that always reminded me like when uh, Facebook's uh, IPO broke or whatever – and, and you know, and it's valued as millions of dollars, and it's yeah. like, but what the hell is that based on? It's nothing. Yeah. It's just a social media platform. I mean, it really is actually nothing. It's just people that put up photos of themselves and rant about you know whatever social issue they 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 can't stand. Yet that's you know people buy stock in that and become millionaires overnight. It's insane, uh, and there really is zero value to Facebook. Okay, well, it's well, yours, but. Have you been – are you on on Facebook at all? I'm not. No, no. Thankfully, not. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> so Facebook recently has been uh, asking questions of everybody, rolled out these things. So on a Tuesday, what do you like to have for lunch? Do you eat the same thing <laughs> every day for breakfast? Do you what, – what, if you had to choose between these two bands, what bands would you like – would you listen to? Well, you do a little digging and you find that this is all part of their new social mining, just like you have – Cryptocurrency mining, right? Mm-hmm. Operations. Facebook is a data mining project. That's all it is. It's one gigantic data mining project. And what it what it turns out is is that Facebook's product is not itself per se, as you point out. Facebook's product is us. Yeah. We're the product. Anybody who is on Facebook is the product. And that again gets back to this sort of weird world that we're entering into where information has so much value and is being valued so highly, the information that Facebook is able to cull from you is considered very, very valuable by what? By corporations that want to modulate themselves in such a way that they can actually modulate their selling appeals on an individual basis. It's no longer one big Ragu campaign. Uh, I'm going to date <laughs> myself here, but great commercial. And I do. I'm going to say this because I love your your theme music. It's it always takes me back to 1982. 
but there was a great uh, campaign for ragu spaghetti. That's a spicy, spicy meatball. It was one campaign. It was for the entire country. It was very, very effective, but, you know, branding ragu. Now ragu wants to be able to make its appeals to each individual on an individual basis to get the maximum impact of their advertising dollar. And this just goes to show the extent to which everything is shifting around to us being kind of like, you know, Neo plugged in in the matrix where we are all part of the value that corporations are extracting from us, often unbeknownst to us. Mm. No, and it's, and it, 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 again, in the, along the lines of this transhumanist stuff, I mean, it's like yeah. these corporations and advertising companies almost become, you know, uh, sentient beings when and they <laughs> yeah. just sort of see us as you know the, the they're, they're sort of batteries for for That's their it. own sustainability um no i know it, it's really um it's like a shocking and i've, I've talked about this numerous times on the show but it, it is shocking how much this is actually really falling into place and how little people really seem to be like paying attention to this uh and the, the i mean especially this sort of advertising and the materialism uh, that just seems so prevalent now amongst uh, society. Um, JP, we're, we're, we're fast running out of time. Um, uh, I wanted to, to get your take very quickly. We can kind of end on a happy note uh, in the next few minutes. But what, what do you make of uh, Trump's uh, continued uh, problems of drinking water? Is there anything to this? <laughs> well, okay. I, I, you know, I'm not big on, on rumor mongering. But I do know that inside the Beltway and on Capitol Hill, there is a thought that Trump is a drug user of some sort. Mm. And he's got the cokehead sniff all the time. Yeah, and those are some. That's like those are epic cases of cotton mouth. Yes. And not to reveal too much, I've had a case of cotton mouth or two in my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, back way back in the old days, you know, when we were you know young and rough and tumbling. But those are some. So it's either. It, there was the, the one speech when he came back from um, from his Asia trip. I thought, man, is he having a trans ischemic attack, which is sort of a little mini stroke? Mm-hmm. Um, I you, look, you drink twelve diet cokes a day; it's going to do something to you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, JP Satilli of NewsVandal.com, thank you so much for uh, joining me in the first hour. And in the second hour, we are going to have Aaron Franz from the Age of Transitions.com. So stay tuned. Survival Wholesale is a proud sponsor of the American Freedom Radio. And when you purchase quality products from AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com, you help support this program. 
Our quality non-GMO foods do not contain MSG, high fructose corn syrup, or heavy metals. At American Survival Wholesale, you can choose from over 8,000 quality products, including self-defense weapons, bug-out bags, and long-term storable food at wholesale prices. We also have custom food packs available, including gluten-free, dairy-free, and vegetarian packs. If we don't have it, you don't need it. American Survival Wholesale is a veteran-owned and operated company, which also supports our veterans in need, and we are very active in disaster relief. If you would like to become a distributor, please email us at bugoutamerica at usa.com or call 818-720-0759. We offer free consultations to answer all your questions. Do it today while things are calm. That's americansurvivalwholesale.com. This is Rick Simpson, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio. And I hope people support American Freedom Radio. And I hope people vote with their dollars and really understand the value of having American Freedom Radio. Because that's my family. If you love me at all, Jack Blood, support American Freedom Radio. Like, my family has literally disowned me. <laughs> American Freedom Radio, Danny and Don and those guys, those are my actual family. So please, please support these guys because they have all the technology. They have all these great things that they're going to do. But obviously, they can't do it all by themselves. So not only would I like to see you support them, I'd like to see you retweet them and repost them and really get involved and get on the the bandwagon, so to speak, on doing that do-it-yourself promotion because they're a do-it-yourself radio network, and, uh, and we just need that so much. I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms. And American English is loaded with euphemisms. Because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth. So they invent the kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. I'll give you an example of that. When I was a little kid, if I got sick, they wanted me to go to the hospital and see the doctor. Now they want me to go to a health maintenance organization. Smug, greedy, well-fed white people have invented a language to conceal their sins. It's as simple as that. The CIA doesn't kill anybody anymore. They neutralize people. The government doesn't lie and engages in disinformation. Israeli murderers are called commandos. Arab commandos are called terrorists. Contra killers are called freedom fighters. Well, if crime fighters fight crime and firefighters fight fire, what do freedom fighters fight? They never mention that part of it to us, do they? Never mention that part of it. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs, and artillery batteries not included. Launch sequence initiated. 
To Porkins Policy Radio. I am your host, Pierce Redman. If you are just joining us right now in the second hour, in the first hour, we were joined by a good friend of the show, JP Satilli of newsvandal.com. Uh, and uh, we should be joined by uh, another good friend of the show, Aaron Franz from the Age of Transitions.com and Trans Resistor Radio. Uh, although I believe Aaron is uh, running a little bit late, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully be uh, having him. Uh, connected to the call in uh, the next few minutes or so. But, of course, uh, lots uh, for me to uh, discuss. And I, I wanted to, if you'll uh, uh, grant me this honor, bear with me. I just want to do a little shameless plugging uh, of myself. And I just wanted to say uh, that uh, if in case you didn't see, um, but uh, the uh, uh, last week's show with Ethley Bailey and Pat McKenna uh, was uh, actually got uh, – some really amazing exposure, and uh, I dare say that that show went even a little viral. Uh, and I didn't realize this at the time, but um, when uh, Lee and Pat were uh, recording uh, in the offices of, um, I believe it's uh, John Romano, a uh, lawyer uh, down in Florida, uh, I didn't know this, but uh, Jane Musgrave uh, was actually in the room, and people, I, I hope, are a little familiar with Jane Musgrave's work. She writes for the Palm Beach Post, and I've uh, linked up to numerous articles by uh, Jane Musgrave and because uh, she writes a lot about uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and she's one of the few uh, journalists out there that actually uh, has been following up with this story and you know constantly reporting on it, uh, all the little developments. Um, you'll see, you know, on my Twitter feed, for instance, uh, I, I always retweet articles by Musgrave because, uh, as I said, she's basically the only one that's still kind of following this case, especially developments down uh, in Palm Beach. So, you know, court dates and, and developments and things like that. And so I didn't realize this, but Jane was actually in the room when we were recording and then uh, uh, ended up writing an article uh, about uh, the the interview in the Palm Beach Post. Uh, and uh, I was a little bummed that my my name wasn't included, uh, although um, uh, Jane Musgrave did, uh, you know, she gave the, the show name and she linked back uh, to my website, which was awesome. Um, you know, I would have loved if my name was in there and also maybe if, uh, you know, uh, brought to you by AFR was in there as well. But very, very cool. I'm very honored. I'm actually going to be um, speaking with uh, Jane Musgrave, although I don't think she's going to. 
um, she, she says she doesn't do interviews, you know, like live stuff, but, uh, I am going to be asking her some questions and stuff, um, for some research on, uh, the Jeffrey Epstein case and some stuff that I'm working on in regards to all of that. So that'll be very fascinating. But, uh, of course then it, it, uh, it didn't just stop there. Um, oh, and I just wanted to say too, I was, you know, a, a big shout out to Jane Musgrave because, you know, she wrote a very fair article. Um, you know, she didn't call me a conspiracy theorist. Um, she didn't, uh, you know, a lot of times when, if you get picked up, uh, by like a, you know, mainstream outlet or big outlet or something like that. And the Palm Beach Post is not a small newspaper by any stretch. It's, uh, I think one, it's like the seventh largest newspaper, uh, in, in Florida. And it's like nationally, it's like in the top, I don't know, 30 or 40 newspapers, uh, in the country. But, um, you know, a lot of time you get, you, you know, you get mentioned or something and it's, you know, conspiracy theorist so-and-so said this and, uh, or they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll nitpick, um, past things you've covered, you know, anybody that is familiar with Abby Martin's work knows that, um, you know, when she, uh, gets written about in mainstream outlets, it's always, uh, you know, 9-11 conspiracy theorist Abby Martin says such and such. So disregard everything, uh, that she's saying at the moment because God forbid, you know, she, uh, covered controversial topics in the past. But, uh, so I was, I was really pleased with, um, the way the article is written. And then, uh, lo and behold, it got picked up by, uh, probably my, my favorite newspaper in the world, uh, the Daily Mail, the, you know, aka the Daily Fail. Um, and it was a big piece. And they, again, um, didn't mention my name, but mentioned the name of the show, linked back to my website. Uh, so it's very, very cool. And then, uh, I just got a message Earlier this morning from a good friend, Brian Heiss, who, uh, he told me that it's, uh, you know, I'm now, uh, the, the show is, is, uh, or the, you know, article covering this is in such far flung places as Ghana. There's two Ghanaian, uh, news sites that also, uh, talked about the interview and talked about, uh, Lee and Pat's, uh, upcoming book. So, uh, really, really cool stuff. I did want to just, uh, a quick little note on um, the the way that the the media, particularly the mainstream media, covers uh, stories like this, or just stories in general. It's really odd, you know. So I know I know that Jane Musgrave listened to the full two hours. She's in the she's in the room, um, and uh, you know she wrote up the article, and you know she even took quotes directly from the interview and put them in the article, and then. I didn't expect much from the Daily Mail, but they, you know, essentially just sort of rewrote her article. And then I assume it was it was because it was in the mail, which is such a big news outlet, that then it got picked up by all these other uh, sites, you know, including in Ghana and some big crime websites. I think the um, what is it? Uh, CrimeOnline.com, which is uh, the I think the owner of that is like Nancy Grace's um, manager or, or agent or whatever. So pretty big uh, news, out, which of course you know is, did not like uh, that I was talking about OJ and, and stuff like that. But you know they all none of them mention my name, which is not that difficult to find um, if you just Google the name of the, the website and the show that you've included. You'll find my name in there. But none of them mention my name, and they they all basically just ripped off of of Musgrave's article. And it, it's just, it, it's like a, one of those sort of funny, uh, moments where you really kind of like get a peek behind how lazy journalism is, is that they, none of them could be bothered to maybe listen to the show. Uh, none of them could be bothered to, 
um, at least maybe like, you know, go to the, go to my website and you can see the description and they can maybe piece together some stuff. They basically just, everybody just copied Jane Musgrave's article. And, uh, I don't know. It was just one of those interesting moments where you, you just see quite how lazy people are. And this is like, I've talked about this before, but you know, the way that, uh, a, a news uh, site, even a big one, <clears throat> you know, you could uh, across the spectrum from, you know, CNN to uh, Russia today, they'll they'll have a, a topic or something they want to talk about, and rather than say uh, send a reporter to a, a location and get some quotes from people, uh, you know, real life quotes where you're you're literally talking to them face to face, they don't do that. They don't even necessarily call up some people on the phone, you know, talk to some local officials or or just call some people in the phone book. Uh, you know, and try and get some quotes from them, uh, say on the phone. What do they do? They just go to Twitter. They just go to Twitter and they pick out a bunch of random idiots that, uh, have a, a, a you know, a really strong opinion. They're never going to get someone that's nuanced in an opinion. And they just take that and they, they, uh, they don't even necessarily like just like, you know, quote them, uh, in the article. They just put up a screenshot of, of the tweet. And that counts as like journalism nowadays. Um, so yeah, just a, a fascinating, uh, sort of look. And I guess, uh, I know I'm kind of just, it, it probably sounds like I'm bragging a bit and I guess I am, but, uh, you know, it was just sort of interesting to see that firsthand, you know, and to see myself kind of be involved. And I've been, I've, I've been, I was sort of mentioned in a, uh, Sputnik.com article, um, talking about, uh, it was, it was really about Tom Secker and Matt Alford, but I was like mentioned in it briefly or they, they, they uh, linked to a video that I did, uh, unfortunately, for uh, a disreputable news site, uh, uh, Newsbud, but or it was at that point Boiling Frogs. But uh, you know, they, they linked to that. But of course, they didn't they didn't give my name or anything. And and I was, you know, my my video came just after a video by um, what's his Mark Dice or or whatever, the idiot YouTube uh, celebrity that's always going on about the Illuminati and stuff like that. But. Uh, yeah, you know, just just interesting to see how journalism works and how even a, a viral story that's positive for you is kind of like annoying in the the sort of outcome of it. But uh, but of course, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, I, I encourage you to uh, share the links and stuff like that. It is definitely a big um, draw for uh, for the show, for AFR, uh, for everything like that to be you know mentioned in in the Daily Mail, um, which is just uh, uh, phenomenal. Uh, and of course, I want to just thank Pat McKenna and Effie Bailey for uh, coming on the show, and of course Jane Musgrave for uh, getting the ball rolling and writing a, a, a wonderful article that um, uh, linked back to me and, and talked about the show. So, very cool stuff. I, I will be getting uh, Effie Bailey and Pat McKenna back on the show uh, soon. And just another little note on that, you know, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, when I when I do an OJ thing um, or even even Epstein. Uh, or, or any sort of large topic that I cover, maybe CIA in Hollywood, something like that, they go, uh, you know, it's always on YouTube comments. They always go and they say, oh, well, you left out this, you left out that, you don't really know what you're talking about with the case, why don't you mention these things? You know, this is like an ongoing uh, process with me. You know, this is, a, this is a, a topic that I constantly cover over and over again. So please don't, you know, inundate me with these, you know, whiny little whinging comments about how I'm not covering certain things. You know, I, I, you know, I say it's like I've got six hours just with Pat McKenna. 
I've probably got maybe four, four and a half hours just with Steven Singular, you know, where we get into all this stuff. And I don't really want to rehash every little thing when I have uh, someone like F. Lee Bailey on the show. I know I didn't really get to cover everything I wanted to. Um, but, you know, it, it's you have a guest on, big guest for the first time. You kind of want to, you know, uh, let them warm up to you a little bit, you know. And, and I, I, it's not like I'm never going to have them back on. I'm definitely going to have them back on. Uh, so, you know, don't worry. I'll, I'll be able to address some of these questions and, and things like that. So, you know, just relax a little bit. I know it, uh, it it's it's really like a certain group of people that uh, want to comment on these things. But, you know, keep it easy. It's all right. It's, it's, it's all it's all going to be OK. Um, and, it, you know, if you, I don't know why, too, you you listen to uh, uh, two hours of my show. If you are uh, convinced that, you know, the. Uh, the, 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 the true verdict of the trial, um, and you just disagree with me on everything. I'm not quite sure why you listen, but, uh, anyway, there it is. Um, and, uh, we're, we're, we're still waiting for Aaron. I'm, I'm like updating here. I keep uh, checking my phone to see if uh, he's uh, texted me or anything. He has not, but I'm sure we'll get Aaron on the line soon. But I guess a little update as well. Um, I mentioned this in the first hour when we were talking. Uh, but uh, as many of you know, Christoph Gehrman and I um, are go, uh, we're relaunching uh, Porkin's Great Game. Uh, we are not totally sure how regular episodes are going to be. We're going to try our best to keep uh, back to the monthly schedule at least. Um, and uh, we will also uh, try our best to uh, keep up with the bonus podcasts and stuff like that. But you know, if, if you haven't already uh, uh, figured it out, Christoph and I are both very busy. Christoph is extremely busy uh, with, with schoolwork and things like that. And uh, we don't always have the time to prepare uh hour and a half episode, you know, in-depth uh, geopolitical episode uh, with analysis and, and all the sorts of things that we like to do on the show. So, you know, it's not always possible, but we are going to try our best to, to keep uh, to a, um, a regular schedule with all of that. But uh, we attempted to record uh, yesterday, Monday, we, and we, we did record. We had a, a great hour and a half uh, conversation. Um, we talked about, um, as many of you will have seen from uh, our uh, Twitter uh, feeds. We we talked about um, this uh, very fascinating book called The Unquiet Frontier, which is written by uh, A. West Mitchell, Aaron West Mitchell, and Jacob Griegel, Griegel uh, both of whom are in the State Department right now. Um, uh, West Mitchell is uh, the Assistant Secretary for State for European and Eurasian Affairs. So this was the position uh, held most recently by Victoria Newland. So an extremely important an influential uh, position within the State Department, and believe uh, Greigel is uh, on the State Department Planning Committee. These are both people that were nominated by Donald Trump and uh, approved, and they uh, they've written a very fascinating, very um, in your face, I guess, uh, sort of a geopolitical analysis in uh, the form of this book, The Unquiet Frontier. And we talked about that. We talked about how. Um, aspects of the the sort of thesis of the unquiet frontier has uh, entered into um reality with with many of of trump's um foreign policy decisions or even lines 
in uh, Trump's uh, amazing uh, speech the other day on national security that are like ripped from uh, Mitchell and Greigel's book, uh, in fact. And uh, we, you know, we recorded this. It was a great. We talked about Saakashvili. We talked about uh, Chechen uh, freedom fighters in Ukraine, all this stuff. And then we finished the recording. Uh, and then, uh, lo and behold, none of my audio is recorded. Uh, or, you know, just never. I don't know what the hell happened. I tried all night to try and figure out if there was a way to salvage it. Tom Secker uh, was trying uh, fiddling with it this morning, uh, and we just couldn't get it to work. So we will be recording it again on Wednesday tomorrow. So it might be a little bit late in coming out, but I, I promise it'll be out before the end of December. But I believe uh, our good friend uh, Aaron Franz is on the line. Aaron, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Okay, excellent. Uh, I was I was getting nervous there because I was sort of running out of uh, crap to say. Uh, and I was going to start, you know, pulling up some headlines on the on the uh, on the internet or something. But uh, Aaron, how are you? Good, good, good. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I mean to put you in that situation, but uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Glad that you had me. Oh yeah, well, it, I think it's always it's always good to uh, you know have a, a refresher course in uh, rambling. For, for an hour when, you know, because sometimes we, we get so uh, used to uh, relying on, uh, you know, guests and, and things like that. I think it's always good to, to sort of be on the spot there for a little bit. But, um, uh, Aaron, I know, I, I guess you, you probably didn't uh, uh, catch our, our conversation in the um, first hour, but uh, we, we were talking about uh, Bitcoin and, and the, the transhumanist aspects of it. And maybe we'll get to a little bit uh, with that uh, with you, but. Uh, what, what's been going on uh, lately with you? Because I know I, I just did some shameless plugging uh, of myself in the beginning <laughs> of the second hour. So why don't you give us a little shameless plugging of yourself? Because you've been uh, a regular now on AFR, um, uh, guest hosting for Jordan Maxwell's show. You're also on our good friend Chuck O'Chelly's show now. Um, I think it's Wednesday night. So what have you been up to? Yeah, yeah, I've been doing those things. I've been doing the regular podcast, Trans Resistor Radio, once a month, Themes and Memes once a month. Uncle the podcast very regularly. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, theageoftransitions.com is the main website where my stuff is. And yeah, I'm actually on Twitter now, as you know. So, very cool. T minus uh, 10 minutes till Armageddon occurs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, lots of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. It's yeah, it's great being on all these shows and yeah, regular spot with Chuck O'Chelly Wednesdays, the guest hosting the Jordan Maxwell show, being on with you. I've I've done a lot of guest spots lately. It's been awesome. I know, yeah, no, it's it's cool. You you made me feel uh, like I need to kind of get myself out there more because um, every time I I check my you know RSS feed, you're you're on another show or doing something else. So it's very cool. Um, Aaron, I guess it's uh it is the holiday season, and I feel like now you're you're sort of like our resident expert on holidays we did the the halloween special together um and so i guess i while i have you on the line um how how has your christmas season been thus far because i i've got to say i'm not really feeling the christmas spirit right now i'm basically done with my shopping and stuff but i i don't even have my christmas tree up yet i hopefully i'll get that on thursday but um how do you feel about christmas well, very similar to you, to be quite honest about it. Uh, <laughs> the reason I was late here is I was uh, getting ready for some Christmas guests 
coming to the house here soon. So that's what's going on there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, everybody's dealing with that. Yeah. And for some reason this year, I'm not as, uh, excited as I sometimes get because I do like the holiday. And of course, you know, it's the uh, winter solstice, I guess, if we want to get back into that winter solstice, the mm-hmm. sun, uh, staying in the same point in the sky for three days and then rising back to life again. So that whole aspect that, uh, for some reason, if, uh, if you're a good Christian, you just can't get on board with the fact that that connects to Christianity in any way. <laughs> that's I, okay. That's fine. You know, but that's, it was important to somebody at some time, you know. Mm-hmm. I would argue that's important to a lot of people now. And, you know, you go in, um, if you're talking about Masonic architecture and stuff, they, they always, uh, align things. Uh, so it lines up, uh, with, uh, locations of celestial bodies, uh, certainly the sun. So it's, it's always important. These motions of the heavens, uh, our observation of them on earth, the changing of the seasons. Mm-hmm. And you look at the holidays. I mean, all the holidays, take place in a certain season at a certain time in the season for a very specific reason. So it's it's very much about, you know, life and death and and, and with this being kind of the coming of winter, uh you got the symbolism of death coming. But of course you got death and you've got rebirth and you know the promise of rebirth for everybody because of uh the savior, these things. So it's it's yeah, it's always about the seasons. It's always about the cycle of life because you always come back around to the same holiday again. Mm, mm. So, yeah, so I guess what you're trying to tell us is it's not about buying uh, a new Lexus or <laughs> going to jewelry or going to Home Depot and getting tools for dad because um, that is, uh, you know, mostly what the holidays have become a part. I actually, I was, I was just talking about this uh, recent, just my like total hatred of how materialistic Christmas has become <laughs> and the the sort of just buying gifts to buy gifts, you know, like with no thought put, put into them at all. And not that I'm like a, a really uh, would consider myself a good Catholic anymore, but part of me like almost wishes I, I was just to like have that some sort of a, a deeper sense of Christmas. And it's not just uh, buy crap because, you know, the TV told you to. <laughs> um, uh, Aaron, uh, big question. Are you a, a real tree or artificial tree? <laughs> oh, God. I'm kind of embarrassed to say artificial, but, uh, Aaron. You know. yeah, I know. I, oh, so I'm not... A green one or a white one? Cause I'd like the white, the artificial white trees. It's green. It's green. Okay. Uh, uh, realize uh, this is my disclaimer. This is my excuse is that I'm a married man. So those sorts of uh, things, I'm not really in charge of around the house. I just kind of have to go with it. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> so, hey, you know, when you're, all uh, married folks out there will uh, know what I'm talking about. So, you know, <laughs> right. there's another uh, influence at play here with the, the Christmas tree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, well, and you got to remember too, I live in a full house here. It's not just my wife that lives here with me. It's, mm. uh, of course, my uncle, my law, my uncle-in-law and my, uh, mother-in-law. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've got other things to do. I just have to kind of roll with a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I hear you on that. Um, and, uh, I was even debating, you know, it was like, am I not going to get one this year? But I guess I'm, I'm going to do my best to kind of, uh, uh, be in the, the holiday spirit and, uh, and get one. Um, Aaron, is there anything, anything, uh, on, on Christmas trees, is there anything sort of occultic about, I mean, it always seemed a bit odd to me 
that we, yeah. we buy this tree uh, and we, you know, of course we keep it alive in our yeah. house, but then, um, you know, inevitably we all sort of stop watering the tree at some point <laughs> and we kind of, ex- you know, we just, oh, whatever, I don't care. You know, y- y- it becomes this like nuisance, you know, and I remember like last year we kept our tree uh, not nearly as long as some of my fr- a friend of mine had his tree up until like March or something like that. Um, <laughs> and then he, he just put it in his backyard and I remember going over there late in March and it was all brown. And I was like, what in the hell is this is a fire hazard? Yeah. But, um, I definitely let my tree kind of linger a little bit too long last year. And it did become this like thing I hated this like dead, you know, this corpse in my, in my house. I mean, what, what do you what do you make of all that? <laughs> well, it's a, it's again another play on you know everlasting life and uh, rebirth and things like that. Of course, it's an evergreen tree, right? Mm-hmm. So symbolic of perpetual life, uh, the perpetual life that is inherent in nature. You know, the mother, the mother gives birth to her son through the immaculate conception, and yet he's born on Christmas, right? So there's that aspect to it, but you're also cutting down the evergreen tree. So there's, uh, you know, there's something going on with death. And then, of course, you discard the tree. So, I mean, this, this may be reading into it a bit much, but it does dry out pretty quick. And you're right about the fire hazard thing. Those things go up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, you know, there's uh, the whole fire, like it, it was a living thing, but then it's burnt, you know, it's spirit is, uh, cast, it goes up into the heavens and that sort of thing. And there was actually, there's some, um, I want to say it's like a Greek god or I forget. There's some legend of some god from some, uh, some antiquity. I can't remember the specifics now, but, uh, they castrate themselves underneath a uh, evergreen tree, I believe. They castrate themselves as part of this ritual that's symbolic of, again, uh, attaining this sort of uh, everlasting life. <laughs> that it doesn't seem to make much sense, but it, you know, <laughs> on the surface of it, but it is, you know. So I, I wish I could recall that specifically, but I, I do remember that being kind of linked to the, the tree. <laughs> yeah, that would make a great uh, ornament or something. <laughs> sure would. <laughs> you know, any, anyone out there looking for, you know, make a couple bucks at Christmas? Uh, there you go. You know, ornament uh, makers out there that are listening. Uh, I would definitely buy one. I'm sure Aaron would as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know, they make a great stocking stuffer. Um well, Aaron, I would just... Walmart might not carry it. Anyway. Right, yeah, no, 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 definitely. That's more of a Spencer's um, Gifts kind of item there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's there, there, do you know what, Aaron, there's like a a big, oh, it's like a craft store out in the Midwest, and they're like owned by some, you know, super-duper Bible uh, born-again Christians or something. Mm. Hobby Lobby. Oh yeah, Hobby Lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's um, I was just saying, I, I doubt they would would uh, carry it either. Um, yeah. But I remember my, my sister when she lived in Kansas City, she always went to Hobby Lobby, and uh, you know you could buy like they would have just rows and rows of like little wooden crosses uh, that you could like paint and decorate and, and stuff like that. It was just like such a strange uh, craft store. But um, <laughs> seeing as we're going into some weird directions. Um, is there uh, anything uh, that has uh, sort of struck you in the news uh, lately that you want to talk about? Any sort of odd things? I, I would, uh, if you want to, um, we could talk a little bit about. Uh, you did a recent 
show on um, uh, is it Corey Lewandowski? Um, the uh, yeah. I don't the sort of founder of this like AI um, I, I don't know religion or something like that. Um, I guess the, the weird one for me, of course, and as I say this, I'm looking at Aaron's avatar on Skype, which is an alien head uh, smoking a doobie. And uh, we had this um, uh, what some declassified video, I think from 2004, of like a naval pilot uh, that spotted a UFO. And apparently there was this whole big program that just recently got defunded. Um, you know, so again, the Pentagon is still actively looking at UFOs. I don't really know what the hell that's supposed to mean, but any, any odd, uh, weird stories, uh, in the news that, uh, sort of, uh, uh, struck your fancy. Yeah. Well, I know you're talking about Bitcoin there in mm-hmm. the first hour, as you're saying, and there is a connection back to, um, you know, transhumanism and all that, uh, actually, but the, the blockchain technology that's, uh, you know, it's the famous thing with the security and like the keeping records and yada yada yada. I I had no idea what blockchain was at all. I I just like uh, about a week ago I looked it up to try to understand what it is. I'm like okay, what is this blockchain? And then other people have come out and um kind of pointed the finger that uh blockchain technology is sort of like this subversive way to have AI systems develop themselves autonomously, you know what I mean? Like sort of the, uh, the vision of the singularity where the machines start learning themselves. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And somebody was uh, claiming, I forget the guy's name. I wish I could, I don't remember his name either, but he was uh, claiming that that's going on. And, uh, there's definitely blockchain being utilized in, in this sort of, burgeoning AI economy uh, that's that's being built through uh, this thing called SingularityNet. Do you know what SingularityNet is? Uh, n- I don't really. Um, I mean, I feel like I have a vague sense, but it's probably wrong. Yeah, it's uh, SingularityNet is this organization that is uh, it's, uh, I, I want to say, is it Hanson from Hanson Robotics? I think he's involved, but I know for sure that one of the big guys involved is Ben Gertzel, who mm. is, do you know him? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this is important. He's, of course, a chair of uh, H+, uh, you know, used to be a World Transhumanist Association. He's a chair there. He's big-time AI researcher and AGI proponent, always talking about He him. worked at Google, too, right, for a little while? Uh, I believe so. Some of the projects he's worked on are impressive, <laughs> he's yeah. he's done uh, AI, AI pro- programs for uh, the CDC and the National Institute of Health. Um, those were, you know, for uh, doing bioinformatics. And then he's also done work for the NSA. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's done that. Uh, <laughs> he's He's been around. He's... He is, I mean, he's a character and he is a very, he's like a genius level guy. You know, he, he graduated high school. He's like 15, fast track to college. You know, he got the doctoral thing going. And so he's like this whiz kid of, of AI and he's not a kid anymore, but he's involved with all these uh, big projects and singularity net is definitely, he's like the main scientist involved with this singularity net project. 
I think, and I think we've talked about it before, but uh, Sophia, the the AI um, system that just was whatever granted citizenship in Saudi Arabia, is mm-hmm. she's connected to uh, Singularity Net. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and that's by Hanson Robotics. And it's either Hanson Robotics or it's David Hanson and Ben Gertzel who work. Uh, they're the guys behind Hanson Robotics and also the Singularity Net project. And they're using Sophia as like this uh, PR stunt. That's what, mm-hmm. really yeah. what it is. It's like a PR stunt to do actually, it's a multi pronged thing. They're not doing just one thing, but one of the things they're doing is promoting. Singularity net in the process, and they're saying, "Yeah, here's Sophia. She's really cool looking, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, but it could be better. And and we're, you know, we're not claiming that this is like some amazing, the best AI program out there in the world, or that it's, uh, you know, anything near a general intelligence. But uh, we're hooking Sophia up to Singularity net, and as that improves." She'll improve, and she will continue to be this spokesperson for the company, for for the companies, Hanson Robotics, uh, and then also uh, Singularity Net. You know what I mean? So, uh, and Singularity Net is one of these projects uh, that Ben Gertzel is. Uh, he's he's been involved in other like open source uh, AI development programs, like OpenCog. Yes. Uh, you know that one, right? The, the mm-hmm. one Jeffrey Epstein funded? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, course. so that that was his open source. It was kind of like the uh, GitHub sort of thing. Well, actually, Singularity Net's like that, where you you develop uh, AI, you know, AI applications and whatnot, and you put them on this big server where everybody can basically work along with them or they can use your algorithms on their projects and you work together, blah, 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 blah. And that's what the singularity net is. It's kind of like they're trying to monetize that system where people bring their AI applications. They put them on singularity net, just like you put an API on GitHub or whatever. So it's there and it's basically open for hire. So uh, companies can sign on the singularity net and go, okay, we need an AI that does this. And then Singularity Net is meant to kind of like uh, give you the different AI applications that work for your purpose. And it's it's, uh, it's supposed to kind of like be intelligent in the manner that it uh, dis- distributes these AI systems to your company too. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and, and the system will be automated as, as an AI doing this. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, here's this. You need this and this. This uh, application will do this. This application will do that. The two will actually work together, and we'll get this third one to do this specific task for the two that they can't do. So that's what's going on. And the way to monetize it, here's where the connection to blockchain. They're going, going to monetize this through blockchain technology somehow. I'm not sure how this is going to work, but whenever a... AI application is used by a company, a blockchain whatever is created. So it's like, okay, it got used. Therefore, you know, that's basically it punching in on the time clock. It got used, so it made this money, and there's the blockchain record of that. So these, <laughs> the, the grand vision is that these AIs just start doing a bunch of stuff of their on their own. Uh, they're getting contracted out, of course, but they're making money in the process. You see. For, for themselves or for the company? That's what's that's what I can't figure out. I'm like, okay, okay, they're making this money. It's uh, recorded via blockchain, 
but where's the money go? I think the money goes back to whoever initially put the particular AI algorithm or application or whatever it is. Whoever right. put that thing up uh, gets the money, I think. But again, they all work together, so it could be like one project could have all sorts of different developers making money on it, right? Yeah. Uh, it's that's so bizarre and sort of horrifying um all at the same time and i i i don't know if you if you saw this I, i'm sure you did but there, sophia supposedly also created her own cryptocurrency uh or or the the sort of early stages or she wants to develop her own cryptocurrency which of course is sort of fed into the um rumors uh that we talked about in the first hour that that bitcoin was created by some sort of ai system um but uh, it, it's uh, – I mean, again, we're, we're sort of uh, – we talked about this a little bit in the first hour. But, uh, I mean, the, the Sophia stuff really seems like um, – and you and I have talked about this before. The sort of perception of AI is always sort of like it's not really quite there, but maybe it is in secret. And the Sophia stuff seems like the sort of first step of really kind of like pushing this forward. And obviously so much of what she – does i'm saying she like she's a real person um is uh you know no exactly they've already sort of won that battle um is uh is like a pr stunt you know but uh, i guess i don't know i wonder i wonder like the deeper sort of stuff behind all of that um and uh you know and how far this has really come like i'm saying you know sophia is on the cover of magazines um you know it, it meets world leaders um, you know, uh, Sophia, I think was on the Jimmy Kimmel show or, or, or no, I'm sorry. Um, Fallon. Fallon. Yeah. The other idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon show. Yeah, um, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Both of them are terrible. Um, which, which Jimmy will be top Jimmy. That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, unfortunately it's Jimmy Kimmel. Who, I guess uh-huh. I don't really know which one I hate more, but pro- probably both of them equally. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> enough about them uh but it, it's it's kind of shocking um how uh I, I guess i was surprised at how few people were like outraged or at least sort of like freaked out by that it was just kind of like yeah okay right sophia's here now i guess you know citizen of saudi arabia um and uh you know she's uh developing uh cryptocurrencies and this is all good don't worry about it um well, the, the saudi arabia thing was a big scandal because of course you know the women have zero rights in Saudi Yeah, Europe. I know. They can drive, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah. not even yet, Aaron. It's going to be a few years before oh, they can okay. actually take – because now they've, they've got to quote-unquote train the women how to drive. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Big project there. So, yeah, obviously the, the scandal was over. Hey, look, real women don't have any rights in Saudi Arabia. Now you're going making this artificial woman giving her citizenship. This is uh, – uh, you know, what does that say? about uh, your ethics and things like that. And, yeah, there are so many different things going on here. But definitely this is just uh, par for the course with all this. This is all part of um, – it's PR, yes, but the guys doing this kind of get um, – they take offense to that when you say, oh, yeah, this is PR. <clears throat> because even when they'll admit that's true to an extent, it's always something more to them. You know what I mean? This is like, again, this is a religious thing in many senses. It's a magical thing. Uh, 
Hansen, I think it's da- David is his first name, David Hansen, but the man who is the name of Hansen Robotics and uh, involved with the Singularity Net, working with Ben Gertzel, he's a former Disney Imagineer. Did you know that? Right, right. Yeah. So <laughs> that if, if you know anything about the Disney Imagineers, I mean, they're alchemists, you know? It's all about um, bringing, uh, using your magical powers to imbue life into what was previously dead matter, essentially, is what it is. You know, you, the building of rides at the theme parks and, and the, build, the crafting of experience that uh, crafted in such a way with such art that it makes a specific impression upon the minds of the masses that ride that ride on a daily basis, you know. So I, all sorts of uh, complex esoteric stuff going on with the Imagineers. I've, uh, I've, I've met, I, I met an Imagineer back really? when I, yeah, yeah, I, I met a lot of these guys actually, but I met an Imagineer, he was kind of high up in the organization too, I think, but he came through the bike shop I was working at in Long Beach during a TED talk. He came in with um, Bill Nye, the science guy, and they were doing this. Okay. They were doing this bike ride out on the bike path, like on the LA River, where Bill Nye would point out, uh, like, where uh, the plates shifted or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the, this Imagineer was like at the head of that, and of course they couldn't rent bikes from my bike shop. They had to bring in their like multi-thousand, like fourteen thousand dollar bikes to do the the little bike tours that we course, had them. Yeah. We got already. So you know, I don't know. I'm just getting into weird stories but yeah disney imagineer is interesting uh this sophia project it's another sort of magical thing about bringing this to life uh ben gertzel is i don't even know where to begin with that guy but he's uh he's into some whacked out stuff for sure so you you better believe he he understands what's going on with all this too (laughs) well no that's always uh uh one of my uh, fears with it is the way that um uh, people talk about something like the blockchain. Suddenly now, apparently everyone's a, a freaking expert on the blockchain. You know what I mean? It's like some, uh, I don't know, a libertarian YouTuber, uh, you know, knows everything about the blockchain. And I'm not saying that people can't learn what it is, but my, my general thought is, you know, when you hear people like Ben Gertzel talking about it, it's like on another level, you know, I mean, it, it's he's talking about this in a way more complex way. And I'm sorry, um, you know, everybody suddenly that's trading in Bitcoin has most of them, I would assume, have no idea what the blockchain is, how it really functions, or if there is like a, a more uh, sinister purpose behind it, or if there is a a, uh, a way of manipulating it that we are, are maybe not quite privy to. Um, so, you know, that, that's always my fear with it. Um, well, shifting gears slightly, but sort of still staying in this weird realm, um, along with the, the sort of pushing Sophia and stuff, I'm sure you've noticed, Aaron, but suddenly, uh, sex robots are mm-hmm. like all over the news. Um, I just, I just Googled like sex robot, uh, right now. And uh, this is a, a headline news on the Daily Mail. Uh, annual sex robot convention is axed from London's Goldsmiths University over fears it would provoke a terror attack by Muslim extremists. I don't even know why they would care, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this again has become something that's like kind of everywhere in the news. There was like a um, 
some big articles that were written about it. There was a documentary that came out on like Channel 4 or ITV in the UK uh, profiling um, just one guy who sort of become like the new face of the, I don't know, sex, the pro sex robot movement. <laughs> Um, you know, cause he has his like sex robot, but he's also married and his wife is like totally cool with it. Um, and you know, he's like quoted as saying like, I, I couldn't choose between one or the other if I had to, which is like, dude, really? Like, <laughs> um, but, um, what in God's name do you make of that Aaron? Because that, that to me is like almost the way that that sort of just slipped in and it's like, yeah, like we're having annual sex robot conventions. Um, and, and maybe the terrorists might attack them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the transhumanists have been talking about the old, uh, sex robots and all sorts of like virtual reality technologies that are going to be, uh, you know, different version of the same thing. And they've been talking about that a long time. And yeah, this has kind of been a story on the fringes. I mean, those real doll things were an early incarnation of this yeah. same thing, basically. And that was, uh, that got to be kind of well known. I don't want to say that was over a decade ago that they came out. So I feel like it's always been kind of like hinted at that this was coming. I mean, in popular culture, there's lots of instances of this, all sorts of movies, you know, electric yeah, light totally. orchestra. Yeah. Electric light orchestra has like songs about it and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, we've heard about this for a long time. So clearly, I mean, we saw this coming in a way, but yeah, it's bizarre to see it actually happening. And I said, and there's, there's always like a slew of annoying stories when these things like make it big or whatever, when they get out into the, uh, mass awareness. And, you know, I saw one where somebody's saying we must ban all sex robots and i you know yeah. you only see the headline i'm like i'm not i don't want to read this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't <laughs> want to click on this one <laughs> i don't i want to know why you feel that way I, but i you know you can guess you, you can read the headline pretty much pull what you need from from those but yeah i don't know man it's uh it's weird it's weird but it's it's gonna get weirder for sure i mean i think the I think they're kind of like clumsy when it comes to whatever the virtual reality aspect of all this uh, stuff is going to be uh, moving yeah. into the future. That's going to be what's really crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, and you look at like even things like the Oculus and it's like it's not that cool. You know, like no one's really rushing out to buy, a, you know, an Oculus yeah. Rift uh, for <laughs> Christmas. Um, and, you know, I mean, not to get too... Uh, graphic or obscene but i mean the sex robots too are not it's like there's no way you're like this is a real person which is almost like the even i find that to be the even more disturbing thing like less so that they would do it with like a a robot um but more that like you want this like lifeless corpse that you have to move around yeah um you know especially with just everything that's been in the news i know you you covered this recently on um uh, uh, TM podcast, the uh, sex scandals and, you know, the, the whole, uh, everything, the Me Too movement, all this sort of wave of sexual assault, uh, stuff that's been happening. I mean, there's something like even creepier when you look at, you know, this obsession with like sex robot, you know, these, again, yeah. lifeless corpses, um, that you have to move around. You, you know, you know what's interesting about all this is somebody who wanted to do this sort of thing, 
a couple a decade or two back would have kept it to themselves, right? Even it, assuming there were sex robots, yes. they would have done it with the curtains drawn, right? Nobody, mm-hmm. they don't want anybody to know about that. But now, I mean, things are changing where people are more exhibitionist, quite frankly, about everything. And um, I was thinking on the whole like uh, sex scandal hot craze, whatever's going on now, you know, with Weinstein, Spacey, et cetera, et cetera, and all, all these outing of these famous people. Mm. I get this like weird sort of in a, intuition that it's linked to the same general phenomena of that being just everybody kind of putting their entire lives out in the open. Mm. And, and, and one aspect of this is because you will have no choice other than to do that in the world we're going into, you know, and you look at Ben Gertzel, bring, bring it back to him. He's a guy who's, uh, called for surveillance. He's advocated it as like this wonderful thing. And he actually, I'll, I'll give him credit. Like I, I don't hate Ben Gertzel. I actually kind of respect him in a lot of ways for different things. Uh, and one of the things is that he kind of walks the walk is with the surveillance thing. He, he posts his resume with his like phone number, I'm right. so, I, I've been meaning to call that by the way too. I haven't done <laughs> yeah. that ever. But Sophia he posts, picks up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, I don't know, but he posts that just online for everybody to see. Mm. And the reason is because he's calling for the surveillance thing, and he means it. He's like, yeah, yeah, everybody's gonna basically know everything. Everything's just gonna be open, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, uh, I, I mean, this is the direction we're kind of heading and i i just get the inkling that this whole like um these allegations against people and like pointing the finger and be like you can't hide in the dark anymore right we know what you do uh, yeah yeah we know what everybody does now so of course the big selling point is hey look nobody can get away with doing bad stuff anymore uh, mm. <laughs> Or so we think, you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's a definite trend to, that's brewing in the background of all this weirdness, I would say. No, totally. Well, and I, I mean, I, again, I mean, I'm like, not even really have two minds of it. Because I think on some level, I think it, it, I mean, I do think it's great that suddenly, you know, people are being called out and, uh, you know, and hopefully some of these people will actually, I mean, the Weinstein thing looks like he might actually have to face like legal proceedings, uh, over uh, some rape allegations and sexual assault allegations, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, like on another side, I mean, I also wonder if the the was sort of off topic, but I mean, the, the conversation is less about why this is occurring and more it is occurring. We should call these people out, and it's like right. But if there's no real like proceedings or there's no real consequences to this, aside from the, you know, their lives being over as like a public figure, then are people just going to become more clever at covering this up? You know, it's like uh, people that lauded the uh, the uh, body cams on cops. Well, you just see now a lot of cops just turn them off. You know, if they're going to break <laughs> yeah. if they're going to do something illegal. They just turn off the body cam. You know, and yeah. occasionally it's fun when you, you see, I don't know, I think it was in L.A., this um, cop with a body cam pulls a bag of Coke out of I don't know, his pocket, which got to wonder where that came from. And he like points at the other cop and he's like, you know, look, look, look. And then you see him slipping it into the guy's pocket, this guy they've arrested for like no reason. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he pulls it out. 
you know, and okay, cool, we got that, but how many cops out there just turn off the body cam when they put, you know, a bag of coke from their pocket into a, a, a you know, a suspect's pocket? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I just have, I don't know. I, again, that's sort of totally off topic, and we're we're fast running out of time, Aaron. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything, uh, anything you want to uh, leave the the listeners with? Maybe on a slightly more positive note, as we've sort of. <laughs> Uh, straight into more, uh, uh, you know, scarier territory. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, with this, I mean, all this stuff is so crazy and I'm very much opposed to so much of this, but at the same time, I mean, we just got to deal with all this as it comes, you know, it's happening. So we got to find a way to deal with it. And yeah, like you said, there's ways around stuff. There's always going to be a way around it. So, Anybody who just takes this as like it's going to be the solution to anything is deluded. But uh, you know, it works on all sides of the issue. You you don't have to you just have to find a way to make things work because <laughs> there's all sorts of uh, developments on the way with this stuff. It's just gonna it's gonna keep racing and racing. So you got to just keep a cool head because ultimately there's nothing that you can do to stop it. It being just this massive tidal wave of a change that's happening you can't do that so so just do what you can and be content with that i'd say yeah no no absolutely i I would echo that and um you know keep an eye out for all those things uh aaron uh uh, once again remind all the listeners because we've got more and more people uh that are tuning into the show where they can go to uh, find out about your work, uh, all the podcasts you do, and uh, anything on the horizon, any exciting new episodes you've got in the uh, the pipeline. The Age of Transitions is the main website. You can find links to all my shows there. Uh, yeah, subscribe to Trans Resistant Radio, Themes and Memes, even Uncle the Podcast if you're so inclined. Uh, it's just, you know, business as usual. I've got a Patreon campaign for people to sign up. I do an episode of that a month. So, yeah, I'm, I've been reading quite a bit and looking into stuff and making an effort to try to put the pieces together like, like I love to do. I, I really have felt reinvigorated in that sense lately. So I'm feeling good here on my end, uh, looking at insane things. So <laughs> you can reap the benefits by listening to my shows. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, definitely encourage people to sign up to uh, Aaron's Patreon. I am a, a patron of Aaron's. Uh, so, you know, I, I, uh, I can assure you that it is well worth it. Uh, oh, uh, Aaron, did you see the new Star Wars? Not yet, not yet. Okay, not yet, okay. Then no, no spoilers. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, although I think we kind of talked about this on Twitter recently. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I sort of gave some of my my opinions on it, and maybe, maybe that would be a maybe we could do a Uncle the podcast on uh, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I like that um, idea. Yeah, maybe we will. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, Aaron, uh, thank you for joining us today. I know it was, it was last minute and, uh, you were one of my like go-to guys, uh, when I, when I don't have a show to do. Uh, so I hope people appreciate, uh, you know, everything that you do for me on the show. Thank you for joining me, Aaron. Again, uh, please everybody go and check out theageoftransitions.com. Uh, lots of stuff on there. Thank you for listening to Porkins Policy Radio. Of course, you can uh, support me by going to patreon.com slash Pierce Redman. Uh, I will be talking to you very soon. I've got uh, Tom Secker next week. But until then, I will be talking to you very soon.
No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics. No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are. We are. American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio. American Survival Wholesale is a proud sponsor of the American Freedom Radio. And when you purchase quality products from AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com, you help support this program. Our quality non-GMO foods do not contain MSG, high fructose corn syrup, or heavy metals. At American Survival Wholesale, you can choose from over 8,000 quality products, including self-defense weapons, bug-out bags, and long-term storable food at wholesale prices. We also have custom food packs available, including gluten-free, dairy-free, and vegetarian packs. If we don't have it, you don't need it. American Survival Wholesale is a veteran-owned and operated company, which also supports our veterans in need, and we are very active in disaster relief. If you would like to become a distributor, please email us at bugoutamerica at usa.com or call 818-720-0759. We offer free consultations to answer all your questions. Do it today while things are calm. That's americansurvivalwholesale.com. And I hope people support American Freedom Radio. And I hope people vote with their dollars and really understand the value of having American Freedom Radio. Because that's my family. If you love me at all, Jack Blood, support American Freedom Radio. Like, my family has literally disowned me in American Freedom Radio. Danny and Don and those guys, those are my actual family. So please, please support these guys because they have all the technology. They have all these great things that they're going to do. But obviously, they can't do it all by themselves. So not only would I like to see you support them, I'd like to see you retweet them and repost them and really get involved and get on the, the bandwagon, so to speak, on doing that do-it-yourself promotion because they're a do-it-yourself radio network, and, uh, and we just need that so much. Assassination. You know what's interesting about assassination? Well, not only does it change those popularity polls in a big hurry, but it's also interesting to notice who it is we assassinate. Do you ever notice who it is? Stop to think of who it is we kill. It's always people who've told us to live together in harmony and try to love one another. Jesus, Gandhi, Lincoln, John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, John Lennon. They all said, try to live together peacefully. Bam! Right in the head. Apparently, we're not ready for that. Yeah, that's difficult behavior for us. We're too busy thinking around, sitting around trying to think up ways to kill each other. Here's one we came up with. It's efficient, too. Genocide, you know? Killing large numbers of people simply because they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, and they don't have the same kind of hats you do. <laughs> you ever notice that anytime you see two groups of people who really hate each other, chances are good they're wearing different kind of hats. <laughs> Keep an eye on that. It might be important. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. 
the founders of AFR wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs and artillery batteries not included. Prepare your mind to experience American Freedom Radio.